The U.S. Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission issued a series of proposed guidelines earlier this summer that would give antitrust regulators more leverage to scrutinize mergers and acquisitions. While the guidelines would apply across all industries, they could have a significant impact on deals within the healthcare industry if finalized. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, August 14th. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we hear the second half of my conversation with attorney Stuart Vogelsmeyer. He's executive vice president and chair of the healthcare and business practices at Lashley & Bayer, a mid-sized law firm based in St. Louis, Missouri. Last week, we talked more about the proposed policy changes and their potential impact on hospitals and health systems. Today, we go deeper deeper on national mergers and how other organizations, including health insurers and private equity groups, could be impacted. Here's the rest of our conversation. So we've touched a bit on the 13 proposed guidelines, as well as the proposed changes to the pre-merger notification rules under the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act. And these proposals impact all sectors of the U.S. economy. But federal antitrust regulators also removed policies that specifically target the healthcare industry. The DOJ did it in February, and the FTC recently followed suit. And the statements they removed have to do with defining limited safety safe harbor for information sharing among competitors or relate to accountable care organizations. You know, what should health systems and ACOs take away from federal antitrust agencies rescinding these statements? Yeah, it's it. And those I, I don't mind saying I was very disappointed, even though the policy statements originated back in the 90s. I was very disappointed that they were deleted and not replaced by something. At least we'd have some guidance. I, in my practice, I had a number of situations in which those policy statements provided really nice guidance. And, you know, nothing is foolproof, but really nice guidance for the average provider. I think what unfortunately is be required is that there's going to be more time and money and resources spent on uh, whether it's obtaining an FTC advisory opinion that previously you may have looked at and said, well, we feel pretty good about being in the safety zone. Uh, or even if we're just outside the safety zone, we pretty feel pretty good that the FTC is going to apply a rule of reason analysis and that we're going to be good. And frankly, some of those safety zones I wasn't even aware we're controversial at, at all. Um, I do a lot of work with procurement and purchasing, and there were group purchasing safety zones. And frankly, those were really well done, easy to read, uh, and now they're history and haven't been replaced. So I think for people that want to do deals, they're going to be more inclined to ask for an advisory opinion, but those that process is costly and time-consuming uh, on the front end um, and really doesn't help the average person out there, the average uh, provider out there, because although they're published, you can't rely on those, whereas these policy statements apply to everybody. So it's, it's a tough time in every industry, but it's a really tough time in, in healthcare, I think, for the reasons I said before, that there's so much pressure, uh, so much 
downward pressure on reimbursement at the Medicare and Medicaid level from the federal government. And it makes it difficult uh, to navigate the investments in technology, which all the healthcare systems, I mean, if you want to be efficient, you've got to, these days, you know, you probably do podcasts on data and, and technology and the, and the intersection of data and technology. And it's going to be harder to mine that data and, and accumulate that data and acquire that data if, um, if you're not part of a bigger collaborative. As, as you said, those safety zones also just talked about a lot of information sharing that is probably, from a policy standpoint, very positive. And now that that's gone away, you would think some of that would still be acceptable and, in fact, encouraged, but you just don't know. One of the biggest trends we've seen recently are these large-scale mergers that aren't happening within the same state or even necessarily within the same region. And one of the things that the FTC and DOJ are taking into account is market share. And, you know, if it's over 30 percent, they'll take a closer look at it. But some of these deals don't share a market. Uh, for example, you mentioned the Kaiser-Geisinger deal earlier. How do you think these proposed guidelines will impact these geographically non-contiguous mergers? I think at current time, people in the industry feel pretty comfortable that the definition of what a market is, is in their favor. So, if, And again, I'm not involved in in any of these that I'm discussing, but I, I think people feel pretty comfortable right now that if you're doing a merger or a combination of a system in, uh, in say, Chicago with a system in Des Moines, Iowa, that that's going to be a pretty steep hill for the feds to, to climb if they try to start suggesting that, that market share uh, market share takes a four-hour drive down I-80 or wherever geography. I suspect, I suspect, and I see that there's a proposal in Missouri with St. Louis and Kansas City systems, and I suspect you're going to see a whole lot of that because people feel pretty confident right now that the FTC and the DOJ really don't have the authority to you know, that would take a change from Congress, most people think, changing the law as opposed to an interpretation of the law. So I, I, would, I would expect if any area would actually get a boost from all this um, discussion we've talked about, it is the, it is the cross-country, cross-market you know, cross mergers. So instead of, you know, two big systems in Chicago trying to join up, they might be looking at Des Moines, they might be looking at Colorado. And that's where some of the nonprofits have, have already done that, as you know, uh, whether it's the Catholic systems or whether it's the Geisingers and Kaisers. I think they're going to have a leg up right now. So we've largely focused on hospitals and health systems and how they might enter into mergers or handle acquisitions. 
But we also have huge health insurers and private equity groups acquiring, say, physician groups or other healthcare groups. So I'm curious how you see these proposed rules impacting these kinds of transactions. I think the private equity groups, whether you love them or hate them, one of the things I've noticed is they've already had a strategy of acquiring, especially specialty physician practices, acquiring those practices in a variety of area of the country. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but for example, I'm well aware of the ophthalmology, optometry areas with private equity. And there's private equity firms that are buying practices in Florida and in California and everywhere in between. So I think in some ways, they probably have a business plan that is more suited to deal with this and to be able to make the case that, okay, we just bought a new ophthalmology practice in St. Louis, but we only have 10 ophthalmologists in St. Louis. We essentially own a thousand practices, but they're all dotted all over the country. And their business model has lent themselves probably to have a a little bit of a leg up in this uh, area to, to argue we're not getting anywhere close to 30% market share in any given region. Um, the payor issue is almost um, mind-boggling when you think about, you know, a, a payor and owns one of the biggest pharmaceutical benefit managers in the country or, or is partnered with one of the biggest pharmacies in the country. Um, it's those sorts of situations um, are so mammoth that they're probably in a situation that they've always been. They're so big and there's so few big players in that. So they spend a lot of time and money and energy on the antitrust resources. Again, that the health systems probably haven't had a chance to, to build up as much. So any deal that a Cigna or a United does is going to be examined and any deal that involves CVS or Walgreens is going to be examined because they're the big players in the whole country. The guidelines themselves aren't finalized and are still in the public comment period. Uh, but for the sake of our conversation, uh, there's going to be a lot of pushback from health systems, uh, their lobbying groups and more. But what will you be watching for as this unfolds? Two things, that, that, and the timing is the pre-merger notification that came out in, in at the end of June, so we're looking at the end of August. I'll be watching first to see if, if the industry groups that encouraged an extension of time to comment, whether they're going to get a positive feedback from that. Uh, if they don't, uh, I think... The interesting thing for me is going to be, is is this going to, I'll be watching to see, is there evidence that this is going to happen really quickly, or is it going to be like um, the public comment period in the start regulations in 1998, and then the final rules came out three years later, and people just waited and waited and waited. Uh, and 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 it could be somewhere in between. 
I'm also going to be watching to see whether or not the industry groups, you know, the healthcare industry actually bands together with every other industry that might be impacted. Uh, although obviously healthcare uh, spends a lot of time on, on legislative and regulatory matters in DC, sort of all these other industries. And I know the US Chamber of Commerce has really uh, come down. So there's gonna be a lot of, a lot of lobbying. I, I will be, as a lawyer, I always take proposed rules, proposed regulations, proposed guidelines with a little grain of salt because you never know what's going to happen next. But I think I'm going to have my ears open and my eyes open and listen to people like you if you hear whether there's any news dropped about how quickly this could happen. Because, you know, if you, if you go back, both of these, or all of these recent pronouncements by these two agencies are really, were born out of an executive order from the Biden administration on July of 2021 about competition in the workforce. Same thing with that non-compete issues. So, you know, it's taken two years for some of these just to get out and propose form. Um, I'll be really interested to hear and see whether it's going to take another two years for anything to come about. That was Stuart Vogelsmeyer, Executive Vice President and Chair of the Healthcare and Business Practices at St. Louis, Missouri-based law firm Lashley & Fair. He joined me to talk about a recent spate of proposed policy changes and guidelines from the FTC and DOJ, which could have a significant impact on healthcare dealmaking. You can find the first half of our conversation at gisthealthcare.com. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.